Hello, and welcome to the Find Creative Expression Podcast, conversations about art and creativity. I'm your host, Sarah Crawford, author, playwright, musician, basically obsessed with art. You can find more information at findcreativeexpression.com. Let's get rolling. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 27 of the Find Creative Expression podcast. So this podcast is officially one year old, so I thought for the one year anniversary I would make an episode where I just kind of reflect on the conversations that I've had over the past year. So as part of this reflection, I weaved in various clips from each of the episodes. So I should mention some of these clips, not many, but but a couple, have some cutting in them. You know, I, I, you may have noticed I never censor anyone because this is the Find Creative Expression podcast. And you know, however you want to express yourself, is okay by me. But, you know, if you're someone who's like really offended by cuss words, first of all, I'm not really sure why you're listening to this podcast, but, you know, just be aware. So I've been thinking a lot about this. In my own life, I've had so many great artistic experiences. Writing plays when I was eight and getting the neighborhood kids to perform them in the driveway. Taking ballet and tap and jazz classes from age five to 14. Singing in chorus at school and choir at church when I was growing up. Performing in plays and musicals when I was in high school and in my 20s. Writing, producing, and directing my own play in college, directing a few shorter plays, doing a playwriting apprenticeship at Horizon Theater, getting an English degree at Kennesaw State University, and then a master's degree in creative writing at the University of New Orleans, writing screenplays and producing my short film Leapfrog just after college, being in bands and being a singer-songwriter, playing tons of venues in Atlanta and even going on a small East Coast tour with Pocket the Moon, making two albums, publishing five novels and three books of poems, teaching creative writing, doing some editing and creative writing coaching, essentially, doing sound and lighting for various theatrical productions, taking writing workshops and joining writing groups, singing at my church, editing an anthology for my church, and now running the cameras at church, painting, crocheting, basically just being creative and artistic. Okay, that sounds kind of obnoxious to list it all out like that. You know, it sounds kind of like I'm being like, oh, look at all the stuff I've done. But really, I'm just listing it all out to make the point that ever since I was five years old and my mom took me to the Nutcracker, I have literally been in love with art, living for art. I mean, it's it's basically my main purpose in life. I do something artistic or creative 
literally every day. Some days, multiple things. And through all of that, I have met and worked with and collaborated with so many different artists, musicians, actors, directors, filmmakers, theaters, singers, poets, writers, literally anything artistic. Sometimes it's been actual collaboration, like being in a band together or giving a theater, like out-of-box theater, a play that I wrote and watching them produce and direct it. Sometimes it's just been meeting people because, oh, my band opened for their band, or I was going to a museum to support a painter I knew, but then I ended up being introduced to other painters or performance artists. So I started this blog, Find Creative Expression, a few years ago. I started doing these creativity interviews with a lot of these artists that I know. And I always thought, hey, you know, I should turn this into a podcast. But I never actually did it until a year ago. You know, we were a few months into the pandemic and those of us who are into the arts and creativity were having to kind of get creative about how we could create even and how we could share those creations. People were streaming performances and making online groups for sharing art. People were doing Zoom, staged readings. So I thought, hey, this is the perfect time to start this podcast because we're kind of in a weird space right now where we can't really have normal performances or exhibits or events but we can have these conversations and really dive into the creative process and talk about our journeys as artists. So I have learned so much in the past year, and I've really loved every single interview that I did. Some of these interviews have been with really close friends. Some have been with acquaintances or people that I've worked with, you know, a while ago. Some have been with people I didn't know at all. Some have been with people I have only known in like one context, like a writing group or a friend of a friend. There have even been, you know, a few people that I don't even remember exactly where or how I met them. But it seems like they've just always been artists that I've known. So in the past year, I've had 26 conversations with 26 incredible artists and creators. Well, actually 27 because one episode I interviewed two people. And there have been so many things that I've taken away from these conversations. So first of all, the pandemic has, you know, absolutely been a tragedy. And obviously we would all go back in time and prevent it from happening if we could. But there have been some blessings from this time, especially for those of us who have kind of found new ways to be creative. So I really enjoyed Kim Ware talking about one of the positive things that came out of this time for her in episode 20. One of the (laughs) biggest things that that happened for me from COVID was like the day, uh, the day that we got sent home from work, March 13th of 2020. That was when me and Andy Gish started um, something called Kimono in My House. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a, a Facebook group 
It's basically oh, right. like yeah, yeah. A, a virtual venue. So yeah, I mean, that's a huge blessing mm-hmm. that came into my life that never ever would have happened like without question like some of the other things i mentioned you know like going back to school all of that that was in the plan but right. like starting this facebook group to keep atlanta musicians connected and then it it turning into this like worldwide thing like that was never in the plan because <laughs> mm-hmm. how could it have been you know right and so yeah that definitely was another another bright spot for sure so one thing that became clearer to me after doing these interviews is that everyone has an entirely different artistic journey. Listening to all the different origin stories about how people started writing or painting or playing music or acting has been completely fascinating. I absolutely loved the story from episode two with Carrie Jones, where she talks about discovering writing when she was a child. We had this assignment in second grade to write a haiku, and the first one done with it would get to go out to recess early, which um, I was, like, super stoked about because I never got the swings um, at recess, and I never asked for them because, one, I didn't speak, and two, I was conflict-averse. So Mrs. Snearson, which is the worst last name for a kid who can't say S's, was my second grade teacher. And she had two requirements to write this haiku. It had to be in a standard haiku form, all about syllables. Had to be one sentence and not be about Barbies or killing people, but about nature. I guess everybody in second grade was talking about Barbies and killing people at that point. It was like a really (laughs) important part for Mrs. Snearson. Um, I guess we were a weird class. So I slammed that haiku puppy out. I put it on her desk and I skedaddled outside and I got the swings and it was the best recess ever, right? But when I went back (laughs) inside, Mrs. Snearson called me to her desk and she said, Carrie Barnard, look at this haiku. And like, I was such a wimp. I was like shaking and I looked at the haiku and I was trying to figure out what I did wrong. And she pointed at it and then she pointed at me and she said, you are the only student in here who did this correctly. It's one sentence. It's about nature. The syllables are in the right place. Carrie, I had no idea you were smart. And like, <laughs> which is kind of mean, but like, <laughs> like, just like that, writing changed my life. I also really loved how Ampered Hansford talked about the kind of different phases she went through with writing as she grew up in episode 12. Uh, so how did you get into writing? Um, it has always been in the back or the front of my life. Um, I grew up for the first nine years of my life in a very loud, very boisterous house, uh, living with my mom, her sisters, her brother, and her parents. And then uh, when I was nine, she met and we moved in with my stepfather who happened to work for the U.S. Navy and writing really became like my best friend. I was a bit, I, I guess you could call it terminally shy. It took effort when I was a kid to talk to people. And so I just kind of really like leaned hard into writing. Um, as I got older and hit my teen years, I was a, a bit of a hellion. So uh, it kind of faded to the background again. 
And then, you know, the internet happened and IRC and fanfic and, you know, all of that came back into my life. And I really, ever since then, I've been so deeply enmeshed with writing being my primary kind of outlet. And it was so great to hear about how Sarah Fox discovered how writing opened up the door for them to communicate in a different way in episode 19. I was in first grade. I had a really great babysitter one day and we wrote like obviously very short, short stories with illustrations. Mm -hmm. And I used that for, I think it was like show and tell that week or something. I don't remember. But what I do remember is that everyone laughed. I wrote a short story. It was called the greatest show and tell ever. It involved a pants falling down joke, all that stuff. (laughs) And people actually understood it and laughed. And for me, realizing that I could use writing as a way of communicating thoughts and feelings was just revolutionary. Another thing I have really taken away from the podcast is how creating and sharing art can help us to overcome anxiety, stage fright, and and really just fear. In episode four, Lulu Wood talked specifically about how busking has really helped her. I love busking. Um, There's something about that like pure kind of like unique thing that comes from playing music for strangers, you know, and having them, you know, you can see the expressions on their face. Like they have no reason to lie to you. (laughs) (laughs) And so when they're like happy and they're like dancing and they're like really into the things that you're making, it's like this very joyfulness that's addicting. You know what I mean? It's like, right. I want to I wanna have those interactions with people. I love that sort of, you know, um, creating a joy, creating happiness and like spreading it. Right. And I feel like busking gave me a lot of confidence in my own performance and songwriting skills. It's like, okay, you know, I do have songs that people want to hear and that they're really into, you know, and that kind of makes you want to keep doing it. And then I really appreciated Julie Boniger talking about how she overcame stage fright in episode six. That inner passion, that inner love of expressing myself just kept me at least trying. And the way I really got over it was um, just just not giving up. And there's a song by Faith Rivera, who is my one of my mentors called Don't Let the Music Die. And she also had terrible stage fright and almost gave up her career. And so I decided to sing that as my first solo. And I'll never forget, you know, I'd already been at Unity and I had that support, but this was my first time really putting myself out there. And it didn't, it didn't sound great, but... (laughs) People just were standing and just sending love and sending energy. And I realized that it's more important to be expressing your passion. And it was like a shared experience with people who were watching and supporting me and me expressing that it wasn't a performance. And so eventually, you know, when I realized that sort of the stage fright um, dissipated. 
in episode nine, Sean Haney talked about his process with sharing poetry. And what we would do is each week we would sit in the cafe at Borders and we would read our poems aloud to each other back and forth. So we'd read. And I, that was the first time. It wasn't like the songwriting and playing guitar and being in bands. It was a completely different atmosphere of feeling and emotions, conveying and channeling in the spirit, in the light, and all that jazz. But we also had the open mind. We had a poetry thing that was on Wednesday, but I would recite the poems. I'd get up there on stage. You know how frightening it was? I, I felt like I couldn't even breathe. I felt like I was suffocating trying to read these poems. Mm-hmm. And then I noticed it was different when you get a reaction and they would clap. And then over time, for a few weeks or months, it got easier. And then you felt some amazing uh, energy and feeling inside your body. And that was your poem. So that's what I wanted to say about that. You know, another thing that's been a great takeaway for me has been how important it is to seek out different stories and different perspectives and different voices. So in episode 16, Adaye Moon talked about the importance of having different voices when it comes to collaboration. And that's something that I always have to contend with as a male identifying artist. So, you know, if I'm working on a project, I'm going to always, you know, petition to have some um, female artist in, in the room because right. I feel like I would benefit from their perspective, one. And also, um, I want my work to be a place where different perspectives are uh, in collaboration, are honored and mm-hmm. have a voice. I also really loved Madeline Dyer talking about representation for disabled characters in episode 13. Whenever I try to write characters then that were ill with the same conditions that I've got, I found I'd get stuck. And I worked out it was because I was wanting to write for escapism so then I could live through my characters doing the stuff that I couldn't. So for me at that time, if I spend trying to write a character that was just like me with my disability and my illnesses, it was just too close to home. And I, I, I wanted to write to get away from it all. I wanted to see more people like me in books. So um, I, I've, I've just felt like representation is suddenly become like a much more important issue to me. Mm-hmm. And I've sort of realized that like I need to write characters that are like me and disabled and chronically ill but where the main focus of the book isn't their disability or the illness. And in episode 17 Steve from The Law Gnome talked about the value of surrounding yourself with different perspectives and different types of people that believe different things. I want to stay friends with the people who think entirely different than me or just a little bit different than me. But more importantly, I just want to talk to people so I can learn more about my world around me because I know it's a vast world and I'm just living in it right now. But every passing day, the more conversations that I talk about things that with people are like-minded or people that are not like-minded i just walk out of those conversations just a little bit stronger and a little bit more aware of what's happening out there and i wish that there were people out there or at least 
more people out there that share my attitude. I feel that that's what we're lacking right now. An attitude for the willingness to learn and just be willing to understand that right. not everybody thinks the same. Another thing I absolutely loved hearing about in these conversations is how everyone's creative process is so incredibly different. So, I mean, we literally talked about creative process in every single interview. That's kind of a big point of the podcast. But here are just, you know, a few examples. Like in episode 14, when James Huey talked about his songwriting process. Sometimes I'll write lyrics, like, or even just one line, or come up with a title I really like and write lyrics to it. Usually I write lyrics first and then try to put music to it. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while I'll get something in my head that I'll uh, write the music out to. Sometimes Mark will send me uh, music that he's written and I'll write lyrics to it. Sometimes he'll send me stuff that already has lyrics to it and I finish the lyrics to it. Mm-hmm. Um, lyrics are kind of, a lot of times they're my strong point. I've been trying to do st- different stuff with lyrics lately than I did uh, when I first started out, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, most of my songs start off in the shower. <laughs> I also really liked in episode 21 when Rachel Marshall talked about how taking challenging acting roles really elevated her process as an actress. But that was for me one of the most challenging experiences, but I left that experience going, I can literally fucking do anything now. Like after doing that, (laughs) yeah, whatever. It's like, can you do this? Yeah. (laughs) Can you, (laughs) can you portray that? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and at the same time, kind of the same way your play, you know, uh, behaved uh, that, that it spoiled me because now (laughs) I look at projects. I'm like, is this going to challenge me? And, and that that's getting to be a much harder thing to find. So if you're out there and you're a filmmaker and you want to do something real dicey, You just let me know. (laughs) I'm ready. I also really loved hearing about how Candace Robinson approaches co-writing in episode 23. So with the co-author, I'm I'm super, super picky. So first thing I'd have sort of the same writing style as me because I'm pretty straightforward in my writing. I know some people are real like purple prosy. So that would So, um, you know, with Gerardo and with Amber, I had read both their books um, beforehand. So I already knew that that would probably work. So once we get that, we can't really like totally pants. So Mm -hmm. I pretty much do the exact same thing. Like I come up with an outline and then I, with the the chapter outline and put the sentences in there. And, but then I have them check it, uh, you know, so then half the time, you know, they'll rearrange it or. Right. But actually, what's weird is we pretty much stick, I feel like, to the outline pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, you know, we'll have to change maybe a couple of the chapters up. But, you know, it's it, it's pretty, pretty you know, straight on. It was also really interesting to hear about how Peter Hardy decides if a new idea should be a film or a play in episode 24. It kind of comes down to what it feels like as an idea develops. Does this feel like a film? Does the idea of making it as a film interest me? Or does the idea of doing it as a play or a short story or something interest me more? Um, 
and it's you know it has to do with somewhat to do with time i mean if you have like long scenes full of dialogue that's probably more of a play than a film right. but not necessarily you know and uh uh if you have lots and lots of short little scenes that are, take place in a bunch of different locations that's probably more like a film than a play but mm-hmm. not necessarily and uh i've i've always been interested in um plays that have sentimental qualities to them mm-hmm. or movies that have theatrical qualities to them. And the last example I have of an interesting conversation about creative process is from the episode with Jesse Gayhart, episode 18. So when did drawings feel finished to you? Oh man, never, <laughs> never, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. Um, literally never I, I haven't ever experienced that yet at uh 35 about to be 36 i i don't know what that's like i have to force myself to walk away um there have been times where i give art away because i know that if i keep it then i'm gonna keep messing with it until you know like the horse that i've drawn just looks like a camel <laughs> like just keep <laughs> adding things and keep like you have to walk away and mm-hmm. I have trouble with that. So most of the time, uh, since I can't walk away, I'll make uh, the art walk away. Another thing I really took from these conversations is how important it is as an artist to have other artists who can support you. In episode seven, Tamara Woods was talking about why a writing community is so valuable. When we look at a writer, you know, we're sitting in front of our laptop or our notepad or whatever, and we're by ourselves. And, you know, there's this idea that writers are all introverts and everything like that. But even with someone who is introverted, there's still a need for some type of connection. And it's, I personally think that it's important to be able to find people who are coming at this whole writing thing from a similar place, you know, like writing and trying to get your work out there. It could be daunting. It could be difficult. It could be kind of scary and it could feel lonely, but mm-hmm. if you have a community that's behind you that can support you, that you can talk to that, you know, maybe understands the way that your family and friends do not, so it's nice to have like that community that I can be like, oh my God, you guys, this sucks. <laughs> they're like, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, also, I love it. And they're like, yes. <laughs> okay. So in episode three, I had Tommy Jamerson on and he's always been a great writing friend to me. And I told this story about some advice he gave me once. I was working on a novel and I texted him and said, do you ever think what you're writing is really dumb? And he said, all the time. So I asked, what do you do? And he said, Sarah, you just have to write through the dumb. And that has really been the most helpful writing advice I've gotten. So I got him to elaborate on that a bit. I have hated every single show I've ever written at some point. I mean, some I've never fallen in love with, others... It just took me riding through that dumb, bad, cookie period to get to the other side to where it's good. But it's one of the hardest things that you can do as a creative person is to like power through 
the part where right. you're, you're, you're hating everything that's coming out of you, be it a novel, a painting, a play, you know. Um, but I yeah. think it's essential to, to completing the work and then getting to the next draft and, and really, you know, getting it to where it needs to be. Yeah. I mean, it's, you can't edit a blank page, you know, no. I mean, you have to have like something to work with, you know. See, that's so much prettier than what I wrote through the dumb. And then you have, you can't edit a blank page. No, but page. That's, that's like, so much that. prettier. I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that like tattooed on me though. Right through okay. the dumb. I mean, it's just, just like, it's so brilliant. So in many of these conversations, there has been a lot of wisdom that has emerged and just a lot of moments that have made me think, wow, that's really great advice. <laughs> like in episode 25, when Aaron Hawk talked about his approach to self-care. The self-care kind of comes in as a bit of uh, reminding myself that like I deserve grace in what I do reminding myself that I'm a person. And so that means I'm going to mess up, but that doesn't mean I can't do better. Um, But also it means that like sometimes, you know, also just to say today wasn't the day, you know, to allow myself that grace to say like, I needed this day to do whatever um, to kind of try to stop that writer's guilt from building. And then um, because I'm an, I'm just a ball of chaos um, all the time. (laughs) uh, What has helped and I don't know if you kind of like heard about this before but like another another way to like self-care because a lot of people think of it as like oh it's like bubble baths or reading a book Um, but sometimes it's also that structural piece to give you something to lean back on Um, Mm -hmm. if you are someone like me who's a bit scatterbrained um, or a bit disorganized that having some sort of like schedule that you or like a rhythm you can start to lean on that's very helpful Or in episode five, when Brian Perry talked about being more present to your life. The reality is there's no such thing as arriving somewhere. You know, one of your books could be a bestseller tomorrow. I could I could suddenly have a hit song. And that's not the end of the story. Right. That's that that's that moment. And so the, the great stuff doesn't arrive and stay and the awful stuff doesn't arrive and stay. And somewhere in there to my mind, I was, there's, that is the answer to, okay, well, then how can I be more present to my life knowing it's all passing through? There's a, there's a a thing I heard Jerry Seinfeld say that was amazing to me. He said that I've come to, he was in this interview with uh, Trevor Noah. He said, I've come to the conclusion that pain is knowledge rushing in to fill a gap. Um, Oh, that's cool. I like that. Isn't that cool? And he was like, you know, you stub your toe, knowledge, there's a table there and you're not paying attention to where you're going. You know, and I basically said, okay, well, what if I change my relationship with my life so that the joy and the pain is knowledge rushing into fill a gap, teaching me how to show up more fully to now and what I care about and what I don't. And whether I get another three beats in my heart or another three, 300,000, how do I want to use those? There have also been so many incredible stories that have come out of these conversations. You could probably go back and find a really great story from every single episode. But here are just a couple that I really loved. In episode 22, Michelle Sakai talked about teaching art to kids at the Harlem Hospital. So my students at um, at the Harlem Hospital are, are all kids mostly I'd say they're they're under 18 
So it was a very different experience there than at the university. But um, I, I, I mean, I love worry and they're patients. So they're, you know, they're there because they're suffering in some way. Um, mm-hmm. um, and I have to say that I, I feel like, you know, I get so much more out of it than they do. And when they're there, when they're working, they're, I mean, they're so happy and they're, they're not, they're focused in what they're doing and they're so present. Right. Um, they're in the moment and they're not, you know, complaining or, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I've been there for a few years. Um, I stopped going right at COVID, but I, I can't say I ever had a kid complain about, you know, whatever their pain was or why they were there. Right. I mean, they were so in, into the work and um, they were just so happy. And um, I think that energy is what I take away the most from working with them. In episode 10, I absolutely loved Beth Ballinger and Keenan Dietrich talking about how their Sarah and the Safe Word shows are a safe space. I think it does come into our music in that in that sense because we do have an over an overall you know we're gonna we're gonna stand for truth and we're gonna stand for being yourself and and you know being doing what makes you happy um, and accepting others and um, you know being an ally and that and that kind of thing and but it's um, yeah I mean you have to, you have to be true to yourself and I and I have always loved that Sarah um, at the beginning of every show. Um, you know, announces that this is a safe space. And, you know, I mean, we have stopped songs to have people removed when we see shit going on from the stage because absolutely not at our show. You are in a safe space and you're not going to be hassled. You're not going to be, you know, hear hear a derogatory term. You're not, that's not going to happen at our show if we have anything to do with it. Yeah, we have zero, um, zero qualms with just straight up stopping the show, calling people out in the audience if they're doing something shitty. Um, I think it's important for bands to do that. So just not pretend that the stage is like yeah. a separate place from the audience, you know, like whatever's happening out there doesn't affect what's happening on the stage. It's just a, I don't think that's a good attitude. I don't think that's a healthy attitude. So one of my favorite parts of the podcast is when I ask the person, why do you think art is important? I have really loved every single answer to this. But here are some examples of why this is my favorite part. The first one is from Kathy Carr from episode 15. And, you know, I've always been like really struck by the fact that our ancestors, you know, when they had a little more free time, when they didn't just have to worry about food and shelter, this is like one of the first things they started doing. You know, Mm -hmm. why? I mean, like you go into and look at these pictures and and there are people's handprints on the walls of these caves, you know, representations of animals, you know, there's a lot of speculation. Did they, did they do it because it was magic? Did they do it to exercise control? You know, was it for communicating with each other? Was it self-expression? Was that, you know, was that even back then? Was it a factor? And I, I don't, no, but I think it's really amazing and interesting that it was right. just like one of the first things people did. The next answer to this question that I wanted to play 
comes from Lainey Kennedy in episode 26, which I just did. Well, I think art is important because it allows us to play and kind of takes takes you back to a time when you have less inhibitions, like when you get swept up in music or a visual piece of art, you get to forget that you're a grown up, mm-hmm. which I feel like if more grownups took a few hours a week to forget they were grownups, they could be less grumpy about things. Um, <laughs> and I, I feel like, well, I feel like playing is important for everybody, but I also think that art is a language without borders. Mm-hmm. that it it crosses borders when words don't work um, whether it's music or visual art we can all look at something and have feelings whether or not we speak the same language and I think that unifying thing about art is needs to be put out there and the last example of an answer to this question comes from Lori Randall Stratman from episode 11 Art says things we can't say mm-hmm. that need to be said. Right. And whether it's visual or written or however it is, it's to me, it's like the human spirit. Like it's, it's, we need it. One thing that differentiates us from so many other creatures, we need the storytelling. We need the narrative in, in whether it's told in, through whatever medium, artistic medium, we require it, but we would be lost without it. So the most valuable thing I have learned from doing this podcast is that the act of creation has its own value, even if you never sell anything. You know, I've always been interested in famous and successful artists, you know, like Anne Rice or Bjork or even people that are more obscure but still making a living with their art, like Beach House or Rainbow Bell. But, you know, I think it's actually a lot more interesting to talk to people who are creating art and also have to do something else to make money and survive. Because it's hard to be an artist when you have to, like, fit it all into your free time and carve out space for it. But I feel like those people are a lot like me in that they are really passionate about art and creativity. They can't not create, even if it's just writing for 10 minutes in the mornings or painting on their lunch break or even just singing in the shower or making crafty things. So ultimately, I realized that it's actually perfectly okay to be an artist who also has a day job. I mean, this is something I've always said, but in the back of my mind, it was always, you know, well, I'm just working a day job until I, quote, make it. But really, I've learned there's no such thing as making it. It's like Brian Perry was saying, there's no such thing as arriving. So maybe someday I'll make enough money from my art to live, or maybe I won't but it actually doesn't matter at all. Because no matter what, I'm going to create art and experience art. And that's just the main purpose of my life. And it doesn't matter what I'm doing to make money because art is just the most important thing to me, period. And I'm not less of an artist because it's not the way I make a living. Like, who cares? 
Do people make a living as parents or bird watchers or bakers or riding motorcycles? Sometimes, but more often than not, people are just doing these things because they love it. And sometimes that's a much bigger part of who we are than what we're doing to keep the damn lights on. So I really loved the conversation with Bill Lavender back in the very first episode talking about how making money with the book was not the most important thing for him. So it's, yeah, it is still a labor of love, uh, even though I've sort of moved into a sort of commercial level. If one title ever hits, then I'll have a year when it, do, when it doesn't lose money. And, you know, it's like the money is sort of a, um, it's sort of like a game. If I couldn't afford to lose it, then I, I guess I wouldn't be doing it. And I do, I do want it to succeed commercially, but on the other hand, I'm not the least bit interested in, you know, just trying to publish something just because I think it might, might make money. And I think Michael Tillman really hit the nail on the head in episode eight. You know, for a long time, like when all that stuff was going on, I was like, man, I really need to do this because I need to make a name for myself or I need to perfect my craft or I need to get better. Or, I need to like the, you know, the, the all ambiguous, I need to make it. Like people would just say that all the time. Like, I mean, I'm going to make it. Like, I don't even know what that means. Right. Like when people just, oh, I'm going to make it like like make a career or make like a thing. I think it just like means, I don't know, I guess for a lot of people like make a living doing this artistic thing or, and I'm, I was guilty of that too, but now like in retrospect, I think doing all that stuff and even the stuff that I do now, um, you know, I kind of had this realization, you know, not too long ago where I was like, you know, even if I never like make it, which, you know, I probably won't, whatever that means, making it. I think, you know, just doing the, artistic thing itself whatever it is like that's it that's all it has to be so those are just some of the things i have taken away from these conversations if you haven't listened to some of these i encourage you to go back and listen to them they're all up on spotify or apple music or youtube or however you listen to podcasts also, they're on findcreativeexpression.com. So my intros in all of these episodes are talking about what specifically was going on for me at the time. But if you skip to the interview, for the most part, these are all evergreen, meaning you can listen to them at any time and they'll still be relevant. So thank you so, so much to every single person who has taken the time to come on here and talk to me about art and creativity. Also, thank you so, so much for listening. You know, this podcast doesn't have a huge following yet, and I don't make any money off of it. So this is just like a huge labor of love for me. It actually does take me a lot of time and effort to prepare the questions and record the interviews and edit them and put them up and all of that. 
but I really love talking about art and creativity. So as long as there are artists and creative people who want to have these conversations with me, I will be doing this podcast. Having said that, I am going to be taking a short break from the podcast. I've got some exciting people booked for when I come back. So I'll be back with new episodes on October 28th. I will be talking to comedian and actress Vicki Eisenstein. She is absolutely hilarious. So I'm really excited to be talking to her. So definitely come back for that. You can follow me on social media if you want to keep up with what I'm doing. I'm on Instagram as Sarah E. Crawford. I'm on Twitter as Sarah underscore Crawford. I'm on TikTok as Sarah Crawford author. And I'm on Facebook just as Sarah Crawford. (laughs) We also have a Find Creative Expression group. So feel free to join that and talk about art and creativity with other artists. So this podcast has just really been a great experience for me in the past year. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I will catch you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Find Creative Expression podcast. Please leave the podcast a review on your favorite podcast platform so that other people can find us as well. Thanks so much for supporting the podcast, supporting indie artists, and I'll see you in two weeks for the next episode.